0: Welcome to Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. Now here are your hosts, Nina and Brian Dixon.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to another brand new episode of Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. I'm here with
0: your co-host.
1: Are you gonna say your name? Brian. Mm. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas Eve. That's what it is today. But Christmas tomorrow, for those of you who celebrate. What other holidays? Hanukkah? Happy Hanukkah.
0: Diwali finished not that long that ago, was right? In,
1: <laughs> that was in October. Yeah. I'm still um, I'm
0: still feeling Diwali right now.
1: Whatever you guys celebrate, happy holidays. holidays to you and your loved ones. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode. I got, a se- I got several messages, actually, that people really liked that one. The forgiveness one. Your friends messaged you too. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we get surprised because we do things very much aligned with ourselves and what we're going through in our personal lives. That's where most of the inspiration for these episodes comes from. So when something aligns and hits, you know, more than like a couple hundred people, it like hits me too. And I'm like, wow, I'm happy we talked about that. And I'm happy we did that. I have been keeping up on my meditation, although I did not meditate this morning. But that's because we have some... Things lined up for today, but let's go into what we're going to talk about today. I don't know how to say this correctly, so I'll correct you. Okay, it's multifacism. Okay, but I think what I want to say is that multifaceted individuals. But we're just, we're going to make up a word. If this is not a real world word we're making it up. Multifacism. Okay, and the reason. Well, first of all, let's talk about what it is. Um. In my opinion, it's when somebody is really, really good at more than one thing and kind of is like good at like, you know, like an all rounded person, Mm -hmm. not a jack of all trades. I don't think that's a positive thing. Not somebody who's a generalist. I don't think that's a great thing either. A multifaceted person is somebody who's really, really good at several different things. And there's a path to that, right? There's a journey to that because... First, you are a generalist or you are a jack of all trades, but then you start to master and perfect your craft in all those areas. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I saw a post not too long ago on a mother. A mother wrote this about her children and the caption went deep into how she is trying to raise her kids to be very multifaceted individuals her herself she was not raised that way you know she said that it was frowned upon to be dabbling into several different things as a kid and it was like stick to one thing I agree with that to one one point like to one degree I think you have to teach kids discipline and stick to something but I do believe as humans some of us are geared and some of us run on this fuel of being able to do lots of different things because we have more than one interest or more than one thing that like tugs at our soul and When I was reading it more, I thought to myself, like, wow, you know, in in the, you know, 21st century, like you'd think that this wouldn't be such a big deal. But there are many of us who have been raised or to not be multifaceted or we have not been celebrated in the way that we should be for being multifaceted, you know. And I think a lot of this comes from history, from like the Great Depression times, because I don't believe it comes from like the ancients. You know, the ancients kind of knew it all. Um, you had the Egyptians, you had the Indians, you had the Mayans, you had the Incans, you had everybody. These people, when you and I went over to Egypt two, three years ago, um, the woman of the house knew everything, medical stuff, cooking, you know, like the health and outside, like how to build a fire. Like people knew all sorts of things back then. You didn't just have like one craft and do that till the day you died, you know? But the reason I wanted to talk about this today is I do believe Society and times are changing and I think it behooves us to be multifaceted and to explore other areas that we might be really, really good at and not just focus on one thing that makes us money and I think that's what has driven this. You know, like if you do a job in this industry, then that's just what you're going to do and if you have experience in that arena, then it's going to be easier for you to get a job with that. But if you are in the medical field trying to do something in the legal field, how does that happen, right? Everyone's gonna look at you like you have no experience. And I think that's where it kind of comes from too. Like that's definitely helped mold our society to just this one track mind. And I think what that's done is left many of us unfulfilled. You know, our souls, true, true callings and passions and hobbies have been put to the side.
0: Yeah, I think on the path that you just mentioned from a career perspective is a lot of people will get stuck in a certain place and continue to do it and do it and do it, even if they don't really enjoy it because that's what they have all the experience in. Or, you know, they're, they don't want to go shift and go test out something new that may be more fulfilling and rewarding. And they get stuck in this one tracked mind that really prevents multifaceted fascism. And it can be deadly. You know, it can be something that, you can get 10, 20, 30 years down the road and then realize, whoa, like I never journeyed out. Like I'm going to have all these regrets because I stuck myself in one place and never really tested the waters. Unless that one place that you're at, you know, is, is something you just love and you continue to do it and you keep feeling hungry for it and you keep wanting that. And that's what is fulfilling for you. That's a different story. But some people continue to do stuff and It's like, oh, I, you know, like if it was was up to me, when I first came out of school, I would have continued to do the legal path because that's what my background was, right? I had just finished law school, this and that, but I had to actually proactively take a step back and say, this doesn't make me happy. I can do so many other things. What does? And then once I defined that, being able to take that leap of faith, knowing that I would find something in a area where I was interested in, in doing that, that's what it took, for me to do it and then kind of become more multifaceted in different areas. Now I have the legal background, then I went into technology, then I went into investing, like all these different things that, you know, have happened. And I'm sure throughout my life even more, like, you know, I don't want to be stuck in one particular industry vertical forever. I want to expand and grow and learn in different areas. And I think the benefit of that is you become very well-rounded in different areas. But I do think it's important that, you know if you're trying to go after something that you find fulfilling and you're trying you shouldn't be looking for multifacetism at that point you should be trying to become a master at your craft of what you have and then once you figure out how to master that then you have an understanding and a skill set that is so good in this one particular thing that now you can start to expand into other areas and the reason i say that is because if you try to do too much too soon you end up doing nothing well at all and so it really, in in terms of how long does it take to master your craft? I don't know. That's different for every person. Um, I mean, minimum 10,000 hours, I would think, you know, like you, you've got to go after it and you have to spend years and years doing it. And, you know, once you reach that point where you feel comfortable that you've mastered this thing, then start expanding into other areas instead of trying to do two or three things right off the bat when you're only going to do mediocre at best at all of them.
1: That's why I mentioned like, it's, it's a journey to becoming multifaceted with that being said I agree, I agree with you it's not for everybody I don't think that there are people out there who are really doing what they love and it's one thing and they're just really really good at it it's fulfilling to them with their hobby their passion it's aligned with their financial goals in life and for those people great like I'm happy for you found it but for some of us we're on this journey to figuring things out or some of us have like found our niche and it's kind of in several different areas and we're trying to basically keep getting better and better at it but when I was thinking about this and reading about it and just kind of like you know I think it should be talked about more and I think it should be celebrated more because people still when you branched out right after law school after you took the bar exam anybody else in your position or anybody else around you at the time could have said well Brian you didn't go to school for that for tech or for venture capital which is what you're in now right and it I think that's very. That's a limiting mindset. So if you are somebody who has more than one interest or you've already started to dabble into things, now's not the time to be multifaceted. I agree. Pump the brakes, figure it out, work on each thing for several years. I think it takes years to figure it out. And then after that, you can start to add to your quote-unquote portfolio of your life, you know? Um, an example would be, I never thought... That going in, first I went, undergrad was HR and a minor in business. Then I took that and went into law school. Then I practiced law for a little while. Never thought that I could go into anything else because I started to hate law at that point, right? So I reverted back to HR. So I went into human resources in the corporate department and I did that for several years from there I was like okay like next step of my life what is it what does it look like I had a lot of major life changes at the time when I moved to St. Louis and I completely from that point on it took it took a while that took a journey this was in 2016 so we're in 2020 now in a couple days so four years like I didn't become this multifaceted person the minute I quit my corporate job you know this took four years of like building, building, building. And it's like started with writing a book. The book turned into a podcast. The podcast turned into a brand of itself. Like things started to happen slowly and and now like want to get back into business because I feel like that's what I'm really good at. And so how can I take this brand and build a business out of it? And that's what I'm working on now. And I feel as though people don't necessarily on the outside see all the work that goes into something. So I'm trying to back up on your point of saying that multi – like. Multifacism doesn't just happen overnight. When you're looking and figuring out your life, don't go dabbling into 10 different things. Take your time with each thing and then somehow wrap it up in a bow for yourself where you can have everything, you can do all of it together at once. And That's what entrepreneurs do.
0: Sometimes, if you're lucky, you can actually begin to develop multifacism while you're laser focused on one particular thing. And what I mean by that is, I'll use myself as an example. Um, I've been very fortunate that as I've grown in like the venture technology investment space, you know, my first exposure to investments, funny enough, um, you know, first exposure a long time ago when I was younger was the stock market. But when I actually started investing, you know, and researching a lot of stuff on my own, it started in cryptocurrency. That's where it began, and then it led into venture capital investing.
1: Which let's tell them the timeline. That was. Bitcoin was back in 2012 when you learned about it. Yeah,
0: so just under a decade ago. Yeah. And it started there. Um, then, And I had experience with stock market investing because uh, you know, I just had exposure to that as I was growing up for my family. But like it started there it went into cryptocurrency then it jumped from there into venture capital investing in technology companies and scaling those businesses and i was still doing these other things um, while i was doing this too so i didn't like jump from one to one i was kind of building my arsenal and portfolio of experience and then it went from just technology investing into consumer products and consumer packaged goods um, in addition to technology and the venture funds that we managed And then I had the opportunity to expand even further into energy, energy technologies, which is a completely different area that requires, like there's some technologies that align, but when you're talking about more of the hard research and development, advanced material science and hardware needed for large energy systems and what utilities use, you know, that's a completely different skill set that you have to learn and uh, being able to learn and educate myself there. And then, you know, probably pretty soon now, even expanding into more areas. So it's like I've been it's, it's all kind of been through the investment realm of things and working with early stage businesses there. Um, but it, as you've seen, like over the years, it's really grown and expanded into different areas. And then outside of investing on the blockchain side, consulting with startups and corporations and universities, like how do you solve problem sets using blockchain technology or using other kinds of technology? So you know, spanning outside of just investments, but still kind of leveraging the portfolio that's been built. And so it's created this really interesting multifacism of skill sets and how I'm able to implement that to provide value for myself and others.
1: Um, speaking engagements too. Yeah, that's started thing. in 2017 for you, and that led you to like different countries and with mm-hmm. different opportunities. I will say that the reason we're bringing this up is trying to show you how much time all these things take. If you are a master at all these things, it takes a lot of time and dedication.
0: My, my first big, like speaking engagement I did was 2014. And it was a very small thing. I started very small. Um, and this was when we would give events for the startups that we were investing in. So like late 2014, early 2015, we would throw an event, right? And we'd have a couple hundred people there and then I would speak at it, right? So that's very, that's how I kind of learned it very simply at the beginning is like speaking at these events and then it turned into a larger event and a larger event then i got invited to come speak at a conference then i got invited to a conference in a different country so like you know 14 15 16 17 18 and that's six years now of doing speaking engagements which has opened up opportunities all across the world and um but it wasn't a a, you know overnight process that's for sure
1: it takes a lot of time and dedication it takes a lot of time past the five nine to fives you know like when you are working towards this first of all you don't consider yourself a multifaceted person at the gate you just start to dabble in things that inter- interest you right like I like blockchain I like this and I like that and I really enjoyed doing this and how can I get better at this this goes way past a nine to five job like you do you're consumed with these things you know till eight nine p.m. at night you're reading at 10 p.m. you're like on the weekends you're doing research like you're constantly perfecting all of these areas no one can possibly do this in just the eight to five you know So it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. It doesn't feel like it in the moment because there are all your passions and interests coming together. I will say that. It doesn't feel like work when you're kind of dabbling into things. Second thing I will say is over time, you also, you take action. You don't let fear stop you. So here's an example. You don't let someone tell me or you don't let some, I don't let someone tell me and you don't let someone tell you like, Oh, you didn't go to school for this, so you can't do this. You've never written a book or you suck at English, writing English, so you can't write a book. I I still did it, you know? You keep going. You keep saying yes to things that you want to do or that you're curious about. It's taking that action. Like, were you not the slightest bit nervous when you got your first paid speaking gig that was outside of the country? I'm sure you were a tad bit nervous, but you said yes, you know? And I think that's the biggest thing is it takes a lot of years of work, um, it takes knowing what you like and don't like, of course. That's the first thing. And then after that, it takes getting over your fears and not not really letting other people's journeys dictate or limit how you can end up where you want to be. And I think that's very important. Let's switch over more to, like, the youth, younger kids, because I've we've pulled some data, not to get too much into it, but we have a lot of young listeners on this podcast. Like, I'm talking 20, 21, 18, Um, so for those individuals who are in college or in high school or just out of college, maybe they're in graduate school, maybe they're not, and they're confused with what to do next. If we had to share with them, they're probably at that time in life where they're just starting to realize, oh shit, life's about to get real for us. You know, Mm -hmm. I think for those individuals, I think you guys, if you were raised in a household where your passions were not, people told you you couldn't make money out of your passions or, that just wasn't important to you, I would say go back to like the drawing board. It's like, what do I like? What do I gravitate towards in my free time? You guys might not know this, but Brian is a very artistic person. Although he's in the financial space and he has a legal background, he's an extremely, and and like very techie with blockchain. You're very artistic. You're really good at building decks. You're really like, you have a very good eye for design. You can like whip something up very quickly. And you're also a rapper like you like to sing. But where did that come from? How did you learn that about yourself? You went out and experienced things. You tried things. If you liked it, if it tugged at your soul, you said, I'm going to go do this and try it. And that's where it all started from. So our youngins out there in your 20s, I would encourage you guys to not listen to anybody but yourself and go out and try things go take an internship in a different industry a free internship you had an unpaid internship when you first started in the venture space isn't that right Mm -hmm. so go out and seek those experiences to figure out what it is that you like and keep at it constantly and i would say don't really be don't search for money that was a mistake that i i made i personally made that mistake because i did not I wasn't self-aware enough when I came out of law school to know or to understand or to question myself. You know, I just I was doing things because everybody else was doing them. I was doing things. I thought this is what you did. But within a couple of years, that changed very quickly and life accelerated on a completely different path. I used to go around telling people that I wasn't creative. Like literally my mom used to say to me, she goes, I don't understand why you didn't get the creative gene. I'm so creative. Your brother is so creative. They are. They're both really good artists. My brother's very good at singing. My mom is very good at um, artistic stuff. She was like a dancer and everything. Like she's very good at that. And she's like, I don't know why you didn't get it. It's not true. Now in my 30s, I can tell you, I do have a very artistic gene in me. It was just never fueled. I never took the time to try or to dabble into things. Um, But once I did, everything started to change on its own. So as a young person, I would say, Use your weekends and use your evenings very, very wisely and go out there. Maybe you went to school for something and it's just not what it turned into. That's okay. Trust me. Don't spend your time getting a job in that industry now. Go try to find and get your foot in the door in whatever industry you think you're going to like and give it a
0: shot. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I actually tell people when I go speak at schools that, you know, don't ever let – your background or your schooling credentials decide what you're going to do with your life because if you do you're going to you know probably be unhappy you know unless you really went to school for something that you're really passionate about but I feel like from my personal experience when I was in school I had no idea what I wanted to do yet very few people in my opinion actually know what they want to do long term in their life when they're in school um, it takes time to get out experiencing different things, seeing what you like, what you don't like before you actually can figure out what it is that's going to make you happy. And if you go to school for finance, but you really want to become a graphic designer, then go take some online classes and t- teach yourself how to become a graphic designer and then go apply to places, right? Like Go
1: on Fiverr or Upwork and mm-hmm. get some like freelance jobs perfected. Like, is it something you like? Yeah. Can you figure it out, you know?
0: One of the biggest things I notice is that there's more and more people that actually have a very good creative side to them, but they've gone to school and got credentials in areas that don't allow you to be very creative. So for example, say you go to school for finance and you want to go into the finance world. Um, You know, depending on what type of finance you're in, there's not a ton of creativity in expressing yourself through the finance world depending on what you're doing like um, you you could get into a space that you really love and there is some creativity but a lot of times it's, it's pretty regimented in terms of what you have to do and there's a lot of regulations and laws around it and maybe you're a finance person but you really want to become a graphic designer right well that's a good example of A industry where you can develop, you can teach yourself how to do it, and maybe you're creative, and you develop a portfolio of work, and you go interview for a graphic design stuff. They're not going to ask you, "Did you go to school for graphic design?" They're going to say, "Let me see your portfolio of work." You know, like a lot of times, if you're trying to go to something that's on the non-creative side to the creative side. Usually, you have you can create a portfolio of work and show them your skill sets, right? You want to become a barber? We'll go cut a bunch of people's hair and take pictures of it and create an Instagram account and develop a portfolio, and then go to a barber shop and show them your portfolio, right? Like whatever it is, you can figure it out, and you just have to put a little you know ingenuity behind it.
1: I completely agree. That was such a solid point. They don't. That's the best part. And and you and I'm we're using this as an example because mostly it is. The uncreatives or the people who got stuck kind of like in the college and like the, the you know, master's degree and the PhDs who are now realizing like this is not my life purpose and my calling. I'm not that happy. I'm paying bills. I'm making great money. But something is missing. And so that's a really good point where it's like just start. Then if this is your passion, you're not going to mind doing it on the weekends. You're not going to mind building a mini portfolio for yourself. Build that website. I can't tell you in the last four years, I have helped build three separate websites. I admit Brian was definitely the major player <laughs> in that because I would get so frustrated with like all the techie stuff on the back end. But trust me, I built his Brian Dixon business website. I built myself when I wasn't even in St. Louis yet. Do you remember I did all that and put, put it together? Mm-hmm. And I started YouTubing things and, and he, I learned it from him. He's like, YouTube something if you can't figure it out. And so now I can go back and say, if somebody wanted a simple website made on Squarespace, I could make it for them. And I have no background, I have no business in the website make, I don't even know what you call it, but I tried it, I did it, and then I did it again three more times, and so, and I learned each time, like, I couldn't get something to fit, or I couldn't make it to move, and then Brian would come in and, like, teach me how to do it, and then I would like, oh, now I know how to do this. So long story short, you can get into that industry, if you're trying to build a website, if you're trying to do a vegan cookbook, if you're trying to do anything, um, like, podcasting for example all we had to do was start somewhere yes the first one was garbage my first episode was terrible like I get it I know but you keep getting better and better and better at it and that's that's how you grow and that's how you learn and that's how people give you feedback good or bad which again teaches you to grow
0: I think that's a problem I see with a lot of people too is a lot of people have a challenge receiving feedback or about things that they do Um, and something that I learned throughout, and this is probably from working through what I do in the venture space and with entrepreneurs, is that engineer-minded people are usually very open to feedback, and they want it because they understand that the more feedback they get faster and the tighter they can make a feedback loop, the better they can change and iterate for the customer what they're building. But you know why that is, right? engineers, engineer
1: minds are based off of like test, retest, test, retest, what's working, what's not. They're very analytical and data-driven. Yeah. Creatives, though, when you're doing a podcast, when you're developing a website, when you are an artist, a makeup artist, a singer, a rapper, a you know an influencer, a, or somebody who's creating jewelry to build their own brand or a makeup line, these entrepreneurial mindsets, these creatives are coming from their heart. They're doing something from their heart. And so I think sometimes when people like us are criticized or we're given feedback, we get confused. Is this feedback or is this criticism? You, you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Artistic people,
0: artistic people, I feel like, do have a little bit more of a challenge doing yeah. it depending on the medium of what you're doing it yeah. for, right? Like if, I, if somebody was to go and paint a painting, right, and I was to give them feedback and say, you should do this, this, and this better, I don't feel like I would be able to be an accurate judge of somebody to say how, how they should or should not paint. Right, that is a very heartfelt expression of them, you know, pouring whatever their mind is into this particular piece. But I feel like through other express uh, mediums, you can be more, you know, you can provide more feedback to people. Like say, for example you are listening to a podcast and you really like it, but you always think the person is talking so fast that you can't really catch what they're saying, right? You could say, I love what you're doing, but I think you, this could actually be better if you just slowed down a little bit and kind of you know, w- went with a better cadence while you're talking. Um, but you're right, I do think artistic people have a bigger challenge of receiving feedback because sometimes it's they feel like it's coming more from them. But I do believe that you know if you're open and receptive to feedback, that's how we all become better and you know, whether that feedback is just like something general like I mentioned about slowing down or if it's from somebody way more experienced than you that's just like, look, I've been there, done that, you should try this, this, and this because I don't think that this could work. You don't necessarily have to listen to them but you should be able to be open, receptive, and absorbing of whatever it is that they're saying because maybe there is a little piece of gold in there that you can really take from them that will help you get better.
1: Yeah, and you'll learn as you go what to take and what not to take from people to be very honest with you I've certainly made my share of mistakes over the last four years of the things that I'm doing and I mean I love my mom to death but even my mom has said like you should do this and you should do that you know and she's she's the least pushiest person but she'll always drop in her advice and what she thinks and listen there have been a lot of times where I've just done what I wanted to do you know and I, I put things out the way because I felt that this is what the mark, this is where I'm going to attract this kind of people or I'm going to do this, you know? And so at the end of the day, make your own decisions. But I get it, like when you're first starting out, there's a lot of different angles. You don't know if it's criticism, you don't know if it's helpful advice. Well, first check your source. If it's just family and friends who don't even, who don't even do anything in your industry, I would say take it with a grain of salt and let it go. But the people who are really good at it in your industry, you know, Maybe be open to hearing their advice and then just doing what you want to do. Because I know some people who make this change and become multifaceted, they're continuously going out in new industries, which means they're continuously jumping over fear. So when you get that first piece of feedback or criticism, you're like, you know, like automatically you want to like go in your shell and retreat because You've already went through a big hump and gotten over a huge fear to even try this new thing and get out of your comfort zone and put yourself out there. And now people have something to say to me, you know, so I get it from that point of view, but understand that it's a process. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, I also want to just say this. There will always be somebody saying something about your work, always good or bad. And you're going to hit a point where you're just not going to care.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, shouldn't, sh- care
1: you shouldn't care. You shouldn't care. You shouldn't let it like rile you up by any means. Um, I, I do believe we're in a time before we get into the pa- like how this even came about, like why is multifascism not really celebrated yet today as much as I think it should be. I wanted to talk about how. I just feel that our times are changing. Our education system is going to go through a huge change over the course of the next 50 years. We talked about this in in a couple episodes back. It's called Welcome to the Future. Definitely take a listen if you guys haven't. We talk about all the changes that we think are going to happen in the future. I think education is going to change. I think family dynamics are going to change. I think our expectations from our youth and our kids will change to be more holistic and more you know, all-rounded as opposed to just school, 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 school. Um, with that being said, there are kids younger and I'm talking like eight year olds, nine year olds, 10 year olds who have YouTube channels and are making 20 million and upwards of doing creative things. Granted, hats off the parents who are backing those kids up and giving them the mediums and the freedom and the opportunity and the time to help those kids just do what they're doing. You know, obviously the parents exposed them to something and so now those kids are doing it. But with that being said... That's the times we live in, okay? Where a kid could do toy reviews and make $26 million in a year. We are living in a time where just so companies can reach their consumers on a much more personal level as opposed to a company doing it and to put a name and a face to it, they have influencers out there who are making money. A lot of these influencers are making more than enough to support themselves and a mortgage and a house and the whole nine yards. You know, so... Get creative, go dabble into things. The opportunities are endless and limitless for you. You don't have to be stuck at the same thing over and over again just because it's comfortable or because it's paying the bills. You have to put in some elbow, some grease work, some more effort into other areas that make you happy. Because you know what, at the end of the day, what I can say is all this is more fulfilling. I think it's more fulfilling when you're able to feed all aspects of your soul like the financial the creative this that you're just a happier person Mm -hmm. you're a much more well-rounded person and do you know how many people you're going to inspire by doing that just by starting like don't hide your failures don't hide your shitty first book don't hide your first shitty podcast episode like put it out there your first person that you did makeup on because maybe you're a makeup artist and you or you haven't like really started yet, but you love it. Go. Share that with the world because you're, one, you're getting over a lot of fears. And two, you're inspiring so many other people to follow into their dreams and their footsteps. And eventually, they'll end up where they're meant to be. And I think that's the whole point. Where do you think, to kind of change course here, where do you think all this started from? Why are we in such a one-track mind?
0: Because of... If- The financial system, in my opinion, like our entire world is built around being able to generate monetary value to support yourself. And as it's progressed more and more and more throughout, you know, all through time, it has created a society now where that's all people for the most part have to do day in and day out just to survive, right? They have to work really, 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 really hard to get something, um, you know, from a financial perspective, to put a roof over their head, to pay for a car, to you know, buy insurance, to all these different things. We've created a society where that has become like the single most important thing to survive, unfortunately. And because of that, people are forced into working in places that they don't enjoy and they, because the creative outlets don't provide the financial resources to even get by. Unless you're like, or one one of the few that actually make it really big, you know?
1: I've always wondered what is a differentiating factor. There is a guy, oh, what is his name? Alec? Monopoly or something? He's like this like really successful uh, artist. I don't know how he got started. Maybe somebody listening knows him or knows of him. But he's kind of our age, maybe a little bit older. But you see him like out with a bunch of celebrities and whatnot. And I'm pretty sure he's just an artist. Like he wears that mask. And he, like, draws the whole Monopoly thing everywhere. Some of your St. Louis friends are friends with him, I've seen. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And I've always wondered, like, how did this guy just blow up? You know, there's so many people who are just as creative and just as, like, talented as he is. Like, what is the difference here? How does that happen? How does that work? And I think it's, one, a vibration you give off, passion. What do you believe? Do you believe you can paint and make money? Or subconsciously, are you saying that I'm just doing this as a hobby? Like, what are you putting out there in the universe? Um, lately I've been kind of checking myself too, like what I'm doing. Can I like turn this into a billion dollar business? Is this worth it? Can I do it? Or am I just doing this to get by? You know, am I going to make like tap out at like 500 K and that's, that's it? No, you have to believe in what you want and then grow from there. But I do think that this came from the past. I also think this came from the great depression era. You know, people became so fearful back then if you pick up books and newspapers from like back in the day they're not positive by any means and it's kind of like this scrapping mentality of like well we couldn't afford to go to college and school so this is like the highest education and it gets you the best paying job of 100k which is nothing today and um you know so i'm going to give this to my kids and make sure they have this and you guys got to save you gotta have to invest in the stock market and you know always save for my dad always save for a rainy day and it's like this scarcity mindset as opposed to this abundant mindset if we all had abundant mindsets then we would all pursue whatever our hearts desired and make a ton of money doing it and be completely happy and fulfilled doing it so i think it's also to do with mindset and i feel like millennials are very um and i don't mean to put anybody else down here i'm just stating something that i i think is true i do feel millennials have a more abundant mindset and millennials put more importance on um, holistic things mm-hmm. you know like family time freedom happiness all that stuff like don't get me wrong i think some of the largest most successful tech billionaires in our time are going to come from our age demographic i really do believe that like we're going to hit some trillionaires probably there's going to be, there's going to be millennials who are, tr- who are tr- trillionaires for sure mm-hmm. and it's because they're they're driven by passion they're driven constantly driven by passion and they have an abundant mindset at the same time. Millennials are also not very materialistic people by like in, in a larger group. Millennials are not going for the mansions. They're not going for the fancy Mercedes G-Wagon. They're not going for, you know, shoes and clothes and diamonds. They're going for a much more healthier, holistic, all-rounded good lifestyle. They're not chasing Money for those reasons. Majority. I'm not saying this applies to everybody, yeah. but for I think the majority, there's a lot of
0: people that actually do. I don't um, think it's the majority, dude. I think it has a lot to do with. Uh, I don't. I don't know what the statistics are, whether it's minority or majority, but I feel like with how celebrity crazed our society has become, and then when you see celebrities that will go, you know, buy a certain good or item from somewhere, and then post about it, and then you just have this huge influx in sales of this particular item. That is very much like a mixture of my my mind of like materialism and uh, you know almost like idol worship of this particular person, and it's I think it's the more social media has ingrained the further I've actually seen that I didn't think it used to be that bad, but maybe it's just maybe it was always the same, but it's just that now since we have such a entry point into other people's lives through social media, it, you just become more aware of it, right? Because like before social media i'm sure there was people that are very materialistic but it, you didn't have like a screen you could our view generation into
1: is not going around flaunting a gucci bag yes they are no they aren't those 100%. are influencers that are getting paid to do things
0: yeah but there's a lot more than just them no in my dude opinion. no
1: you have people you have generations of our parents and our grandparents who care more about their status their status quo it's not our generation our generation is more literally focused on like what makes me happy what makes me happy consistently like they're chasing happiness and they know it's not in money. And You don't want to know why stats, statistics show this. We have less mortgages. Millennials carry less mortgages because they will not go sit in a mansion and be house poor. OK, millennials are waiting way later in life to have kids because they know how much resources it takes. And this is strictly because there's a direct correlation on this. You can look it up on the on the web. And it's because when we were graduating college, we had hit the recession. So we saw our parents go lose jobs, lose money, see the market crash, the whole nine yards. Then I went to law school. I mean, I was lucky enough to you know, be raised in a family where they couldn't afford these things, but I went to law school, and do you know what the biggest fear was during those two years that people would talk about? Oh, good luck finding a job. Good luck finding a job. That's, that's what we were told. And so you all of a sudden, subconsciously, our generation saw that like it could go away in a snap of a finger, and you can't change that. The stock market, not dependable. Here comes Bitcoin. So I believe at a much more, and I'm not talking about, you know, 20-year-olds or Instagram or influencers or, you know, what people are posing on their pictures to like flex on people in in a perception. I'm strictly going on data currently about millennials in our financial system. You know, we own less stocks. We own more cryptocurrencies. Doesn't that show you something? That people are our, our age, our parents, when they were our age, they weren't investing in stocks. They didn't hold that much. Mis- that wasn't the norm back then. If you had a family member doing it for you, you did. But you yourself weren't. You know, like you had 401ks, you had Roth IRA. That's that's the stuff that they did. But today in time, like all of my, almost all of my friends are being extremely intelligent with what they're going to I mean, have they made mistakes in their 20s? Yes, they have. But now we're all in our early 30s and i feel nobody's going out there spending trying to flex on the instagram world like everyone is trying to be very cognizant if anything i feel that the world is moving towards minimalism and we're driving that well that
0: would be great if that's true i mean we'll we'll see if that ends up happening yeah there's
1: nothing wrong also
0: if you look at from a financial perspective right now um asset-based lending so back when the big financial crash hit it was all like a lot of money was tied up in real estate and people were getting three and four mortgages and were just being very financially irresponsible. Right now, what the data is showing, and this is across all age demographics, is that asset-based lending, so basically going and buying an iPhone and breaking it down into three-year installment payments with interest or going and buying a TV and breaking that down into several years of installment payments with interest, that is at an all-time high, which potentially has this the same opportunity to create a very similar result as what happened when all the same things were happening in real estate during the financial crisis.
1: I agree with that point. And so
0: that's what I mean. I don't mean like necessarily just flexing it on Instagram. I mean people are buying goods, putting them on interest at a higher and faster rate than ever has happened. But you know
1: whose fault that is?
0: It's the, it's the person's fault that's buying it.
1: No, Brian, that's our fault. That's our educational system's fault. That's that's the education system failing us for not teaching kids interest rates, loans, mortgages. You don't buy a piece of clothing on four installment payments. If you cannot afford that, I, you know what? I saw this post and I've been really thinking about it. If you can't buy something twice in cash, you can't afford it.
0: Put it away. So I agree with what you just said regarding that we have not been educated, right? I think that's a big part of it. But at the end of the day, if you're going to go and purchase something, you're the only person controlling that transaction happening, right? So maybe you weren't educated, right? But at the same time, you still should know better that you shouldn't be buying something. How are you going
1: to know something if you're not educated on it? Or if, if you don't come from a family who okay. believes in that it's, stuff? It's
0: part of it. It's part of you
1: it. know, it's all, all this stuff is, by the way, I'm not like, all this stuff is very relative to everybody's upbringing. Not every child or every one of us grew up in homes where financial literacy was something we picked up on. Oh, I completely agree Okay, you and I are very different in in that we're different, but the majority of life, like, you grew up very lucky and so did I. But I'm sorry, 99% of America wasn't raised that way.
0: Well, it even goes far beyond financial literacy, too. Like, today, even people that I would consider pretty financially literate will be using applications that are basically digital payday loans. Like, let me go... Buy this right now and then this application will advance me $200 on my next paycheck so I can have it today as opposed to waiting until I actually have the resources in my account. So like our system of credit has completely – even people that I consider very smart and financially literate, they are still abusing the credit system in different ways that they should not. And it's almost like like beyond financial literacy where I think a bigger issue is is how marketing hits people. Like we're getting bombarded with yeah. marketing on these goods and after you see something 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 times, you start to forget your financial literacy. Some people and you're like, well, you know I could just go get that right know, And you, you, start making, you start making you start making justifications and it changes your psychology about stuff. I know.
1: I know. I I totally get it. I don't expect everybody to understand this and I don't expect everybody to change overnight. I think this takes a lot of time. When I was young, I was a I was pretty materialistic. Like I wanted all the shiny things. But truth be told, I find more comfort in just that comfort and security. I find more happiness now in attaining goals and my goals are not a shiny car my goals are not a shiny watch it's not diamonds it's not a fancy purse those things do make me happy and i and i do attain them and i will attain them when i can but i'm not going to put them on what is it i think it's called afterpay where you can buy something and then pay Wait, there's, well there's there, no there's no interest on afterpay it's like i don't know pretend pretend my watch costs like you know $1000 and I don't want to pay for it up front. So it's called after pay. And they do like this background credit check on you. And they'll say, okay, you're going to have 10 payments of $100 for the next 10 months. If you're late on a payment or if you don't pay within 10 months, that's when the interest and stuff
0: gets charged. And they probably so, hit you with like a 20% interest So it's rate.
1: no interest. So if, you're, if you can afford that $100 the next 10 months and that makes you happy and you're not going to be late, fine, all power to you. But I think that that's programming like you said. Yeah. That's almost like the 2008 nonsense. And it's like you don't want to you don't want to put yourself in that position. You don't even want to get in that habit. And do you know where else it started? Car leasing. That's a big one for people. They think it's okay to lease a car.
0: Usually there's more car commercials on TV than anything else. Yeah. Like every commercial break when I mean for people that still watch regular TV and don't use a platform like Apple TV or whatever. Uh, like usually every commercial break you would see in between two to three car commercials on average. I actually read some stats on that in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, And a lot of it is around like, you know, blah, 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 this MSRP, but come in here and you can pay one ninety nine a month and you can get it. So right, you're going out, you're taking a lease out on a car, you're paying interest on that lease long term, you end up paying double. If you even keep it the whole time, right?
1: No, but sometimes they even get you and say there's no interest on it. So my whole thing is, why can you not just buy a car that you can actually afford? A $10,000 car, $15,000, $20,000 car. A Honda's like 25000 It's really not that expensive. Why can't you do that? Instead, you would rather tie yourself up in payments to pay for a car that you don't even own, and now it's going to be three, four dollars $400, $500 a month because you choose to have a different type of car. That's where my whole thing gets. like Now you want a fancier car, because now you think they're telling you that you can afford it by putting these monthly payments. And it's like, the joke's on you. It's, it's on the consumer, 100%.
0: The first rule of the game. What? You know it, Nina. I don't. What's the first rule of the game? To no, know that to you're no, in it's a, one. It's a game, yeah. No, no, so it's a game. It is no joke. People and businesses are trying to sell you things that you probably don't need all the time to make a profit, right? That's what business is about. So... Like, pay attention to that and understand you don't have to have every single thing you see or everything that gets marketed to you. Like, they're becoming so smart with marketing and how the algorithms work right that you will literally talk about something. It will record your conversation in the background on Facebook Messenger and you will get fed advertisements based on a conversation you just had. Like, it is that invasive now. And you have to understand that you cannot get stuck down that path.
1: I will never forget this moment. It was on our wedding day. We went to dinner after. And my sister-in-law said to me, she goes, I'm not trying to. We were, we were talking about something. And it came up in some form. And I and I was telling her how I'm a stickler and like I'm a saver. And like I like to save things, get to a certain point. Then I'll like reward myself with a tiny gift. But then I want to invest the other money. I need my money to be making me money. That's how I think. And she, go, she was explaining to me like how she's been very intelligent with things too. And she's. So yeah, she's older than me, much older than me, and she goes, "I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses." She's like, "I want to be the Joneses," and that's stuck with me ever since that that day. Like that, I don't know what it was in that moment, in that time, in that day, that that sentence was like glued to me. I never heard it that way before, and I was just like, "You know what? Like that is so." And you and your brother are very unmaterialistic people, so I was very much like it was like, yeah, that's like such a great way to put it. Like you you don't want to, here's how I'm trying to tie this in. You don't need to be stuck at that dead-end job or this job that makes you so unhappy or this job that you think is all you're going to get because you went to school for it and it's all you've experienced in for 10 years because it's paying the bills. Look at your bills. Are your bills really nece- like necessary? Are they necessities? Or have you created a lifestyle for yourself that is keeping you in that job. Now you're in this constant loop trying to keep up with your lifestyle. I feel as though millennials are breaking themselves out of it where they're like, okay, well, if I'm going to be paying for the rest of my life for this mortgage, for this house, that's house, but I'm not going to do it. I'm fine in my happy apartment. If I'm going to be paying for this, then, you know, what? I'm not going to do it. Like that's how I think some millennials are starting to think and be like, which is causing a little ripple effect. And so, you know, The minimalism is starting to show up now in certain things. They're putting experiences over materialistic gain in the immediate future, if that makes sense, from like bigger things and bigger purchases. So I think that's a good thing. But like you said, I do think there's also a whole other side to this. There are people who are not thinking like that and they're spending on ridiculous things trying to um, show off and keep up with people and it's just not... Helpful to anybody. With that being said, I think people need to just go within and do what they want to do and not worry about what everybody else is doing either. I think that's where that, that the problem lies there when you think and look at other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, just do what you want to do and trust that you can do it all. Um, there is one issue I just thought of actually while talking. If there's anybody out there who's trying to start a blog while they have like a nine to five I could see, I am noticing, I read a couple of HR articles on this on LinkedIn, actually, recently, and it kind of like made me wonder, like, how would I react if I was still, you know, a human resources director or manager in our corporate society right now? How would I handle this? And it was about how HR is having a difficult time monitor, monitoring employees who have these side gigs, And they specifically mentioned blogs and like influencers and Instagram. They're like, how do we monitor that when people are doing this at work Mm -hmm. on our time? And that kind of stuff, those kinds of articles and that kind of policing is what scares people, I think, sometimes from doing more, from branching out, from trying. Because in our blogging world currently and in our Instagram world and Facebook world, you do have to post way before 5 p.m okay like this isn't like a nighttime thing but there are ways around it you can get like scheduling programs on your computer to like automatically post things in the morning for you and this but then the issue that's come up is your superiors in these corporate offices don't know that that was automatically posted you know you still get blamed for it and they say what are you doing on like our t- on our time you should be working on our computer your cell phone should not be out your computer should not be out so for those people and for those things, I say, I think you should keep on going. <laughs> I don't think that you should let um, our very archaic corporate world tell you what to do. With that being said, try to be smart. Try to outsmart people. Don't let it stop you and don't let it scare you. Definitely don't do not do it while you're at work. I agree with that. But then invest in like some sort of like $20 a month You know, there's a bunch of apps that'll post for you and then explain it to them. Be like, listen, I have everything preloaded on Sundays when I'm at home with my family. Like I preload my content in here and this is how I do it. Don't give up on things because someone tells you no or someone tells you that your job is in jeopardy for things. I think that's very old and archaic and kind of feels like a dictatorship. And I think if we all kind of stand up for ourselves and just push through that's how we can change all this as a society. Well, we went on many rants today.
0: We did. It was good. <laughs> it was kind of good. <laughs> I was ranting hard in the paint today, <laughs> it was guys. Good, good it was work.
1: Good. Um, at the end of the day, I will say this, and I don't know
0: if you agree with me. You should I think, loop it back around to the topic, too.
1: I think, well, I just did. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are that are very successful entrepreneurs are multifaceted. You have to be. Right? Like, I mean, let's just start to name some. Talk about some that you like. As an example, that about, are multifaceted.
0: Well, I just, just think about it basic this. If, if you're an entrepreneur starting a business, here's the things you have to be multifaceted in, right? Depending on what your business is, your product or service, you have to know marketing, sales, operation, finance, right? Like all the like all of these different things that come involved in running a business in the early days. You do all of them before you're able to grow and reach some revenue success, so you can start hiring and bringing people on to fit these different disciplines, right? So entrepreneurs, by the very nature of what they do, they have to know how to wear a lot of hats and be very good at a lot of different things simultaneously to get the business to operate early on successfully.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where you learn what you're good at and what you're not. Like for me personally, the last four years I've learned, I love creating things. I love putting myself out there. I like getting over my fears that I have. But one thing I absolutely despise is sales. Mm-hmm. I've told you that time and time again. And then I read a, an incredible article from a guy. Um, this is actually for our creatives who are listening. Um, I read an article by another guy who's a he's a podcast creator. Actually, he does very well. And he said, I learned early on that... I love to create, I love to sit here and record and I get really inspired sometimes and I'm in my flow and I love it and I like creating my website and putting myself out there. I'm always thinking about new ways to connect with my audience. He's like, but what I absolutely despise is having to then spend nine more hours on pushing my stuff out there, through my website, ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, billboards, money, spending money on marketing and all this stuff. And he goes, I'm not good, I'm not good at being a pushy salesperson. And he goes, but then, A mentor of his said to him, I'll just call him Joe. He's like, Joe, he's like, you can't create. You don't get to create if you can't sell it. If you cannot learn to sell, you're not going to be able to have the luxury to create these things in your own time. And that made so much sense to me. And ever since then, I've really been trying to be open minded and strike a balance between. Okay, I'm recording, I'm doing this, but now I got to like push it out. So I'm in the sales process myself, Mm -hmm. but I'm always trying to learn. I learn a lot from you. I think you're very good at it. And you do have to do things that you don't necessarily want to do when you're when you're like multifaceted or when you're an entrepreneur. And it's okay to say I don't like to do something, but I'm still trying to master this. I'm still going to try to perfect this and get better at it because If I can't sell what I'm doing to the public and I can't make money off of this, then you're right. I can't sit here and record. You know, I can't sit here and build a brand Mm -hmm. if I can't push this out. So you're right. By the very nature, entrepreneurs are kind of forced into being multifaceted. And then somewhere along the line, as they say, when you're good at something, you tend to like it. Then it's okay for you because you've you've mastered it.
0: So, and a lot of times, people, when you're doing something you don't like, and maybe this, I'm just kind of regurgitating what you just said, but when you're doing something you don't like, and then you force yourself to learn it, and then you do it more, you do it more, it becomes a little bit more easier. You kind of have, eventually, you have this shift that happens, and it's usually it's very subtle and you don't even recognize it, and it's like, it's a confidence. you know, I didn't really used to like this. I was actually maybe even a little bit fearful of this when I first started it. But then I read a bunch of books on it, then I did it more. Then I read some more books on it. Then I did it more. And then I had this strange shift that happened. I didn't even realize when it happened, but now I'm like very confident at it and I kind of actually enjoy it, you know?
1: Mm. It's this confidence that you get. I've seen it in you too. Like you'll be like, I can do that. I can figure it out. Like I can definitely do that. And then one thing we were talking about something like a week ago and you're like, you know, I can just build that for you. I can do that for you. All I have to do is watch YouTube videos. And I feel like that kind of confidence comes when you just know you can figure anything out. All you have to do is get out of your head and start acting on things. We build up too much anxiety and too much fear just thinking about things. It's like, just sit down and just do them and it'll be fine. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed our episode. I'm all talked out at this point. That was a
0: multifaceted rant. (laughs) That (laughs) was a multifaceted
1: episode. (laughs) Listen, guys. Very, very happy holidays to you and your family. We are very grateful this year. Um, me personally, I wanted to say something. It's been we're closing this year out with a full year of podcasting. Um, and I'm very grateful for all the opportunities and I'm very grateful for all the listeners. Thank you. I'm very much. grateful for the ones who stuck with me through some uh like my first very first episode wasn't that great. I said um like thirty times. And I don't even think that episode's up anymore in the in the ether out there. I don't even know. I don't remember. But I'm very grateful for everything, and thank you for sticking through with me. Brian's a much better speaker than I am, so that's why I'm the one saying this for myself. I have learned a lot along the way, and we only hope to bring you more content, more quality content, uh, more ways to engage with us. Our goal with this is to create a community and just get bigger and bigger and bigger with it. I want to eventually bring people on the show especially in the St. Louis area. I want to do meet and greets. I want to have podcast summits and conferences in St. Louis. Like this, this is a whole, it's going to take its own little form eventually soon, but none of that would be possible. And I wouldn't even have the guts to dream that big had we not had all the listeners we've had in this past year. So I'm very grateful for that. I appreciate it. And today is Christmas Eve. And I hope that you guys you know, I read a post the other day and I'm not drinking my own Kool Aid, so forgive me on that, but it was about how many of us feel very anxious and kind of antsy around the holidays because all of a sudden we're forced to stop, you know, not check your email, not be at work, not be doing something.
0: I don't know. You just maybe remember something because it popped in my head this morning when I was driving to go work out, but people should notice during the week pay attention to when you're driving monday through friday and the general energy you feel when you're driving and the sporadic energy you feel by everyone around you that's driving right on monday through friday then pay attention on saturday and sunday what it's like when you're on the road it's completely night and day difference you even feel calmer Everybody around you feels calmer. Everybody that's driving is usually more respectful on the road. This is what I've noticed throughout the years that I've been driving. And so you begin to understand that during the week when everyone's anxious and stressed out and they're going to work and they're rushing from point A to point B to get to appointments and meetings, the actual energy that's in the air is very, very tense but during the weekend it's like this entire weight is lifted off everybody's shoulders right and then what i noticed this morning cuz it's christmas eve right a lot of people have taken off for the week it's incredibly calm right people are driving to spend time with family that like that's something that we should be looking to try to infuse more into the you know daily part of the week on monday through friday like just delete this energy of anxiety and tension throughout but really i would just recommend people like just pay attention to that over the next couple weeks like during the week the energy when you're on the road is night and day different than what it's like on saturdays and sundays
1: it's not just on the road so i don't have to physically go to an office every morning but i tell you all the time my anxiousness and my anxiety levels like i pick up on everything right on monday morning just like you do just like everybody else does because I'm feeling it from all angles even when I'm going to the gym on a Monday morning at like 5 6 a.m. I feel it when I'm in the gym you know like from everybody else and it's not me because my life is much easier than that but that's something I noticed back when I was at my old job and Friday would come Saturday I would wake up I would sleep so good on Friday and I would wake up so relaxed on Saturdays. And I used to t- I used to say to my mom, I mean, I was like in my early 20s. I'm like, mom, like, I don't understand. Like on the weekends, I just sleep and sleep and sleep. And I feel so clear and I feel so content and happy. But you know what would happen to me? Sunday, 11 a.m., noon, 1 p.m., it would all come back to me like rushing, rushing. And that was me feeling the anxiety of like, here comes Monday morning. here come- I have X, Y, Z to do. I have to do this. I have to do this. And I just feel that that's from our general, I don't know, this financial system, this government, all this stuff that goes on, you know, it just, it's there. But when you become aware of it, you can also begin to control it for yourself and maintain your peace and cool. Like this morning, we went to the gym at like, what, 5 a.m., 6 a.m.? And I, I actually forgot that it was Christmas Eve this morning as I was driving. I'm like, whoa, not a soul out here. And then I realized even the gym was empty. There was one person in there. That's when I was like, wow, I'm going to have the best run. And I did. I had the, like the calmest time, the best run ever, came home. We had to record this morning because we had a lot of family stuff over the weekend. So we didn't get to do it. But besides that, um, I would say, going back to my point, to just relax. Take time off, truly be present, be in the moment with your family and friends and let yourself relax. Let yourself go, chill out. It's only like the next week or so. It's New Year's right after this and then go full force at it again, you know, but I think that we need to learn how to pause. Um, Our America is definitely one of the one of the few countries, in my opinion, that's always go, 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 go. And people don't take breaks during the day. People don't take naps like they do in Mexico or in India. Like there's just this not – there's no nonchalantness here. And so I, I really – actually
0: heard somebody that I work with recently that was like, you know, I don't understand in other countries like in Europe and stuff or in Spain where they like take an hour or two off in the afternoon and like take a break or, you know, spend time with their family on this part of the day. And it's they're like, they're like how do they ever get anything done? And I was just looking at this person, like mind blown, like, and you think that like being on the grind 24 seven here in the United States is like a good thing. Like, yeah. like we're destroying ourselves. Yeah. And this person was just like so blind to it. And I was just like kind of taken aback. I was like, we could use a little bit more of that in our society. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, reach a better equilibrium, a better state of chill. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I agree. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. And please don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, follow us on Instagram. I'm Nina Pell Dixon. Brian's is Brian Dixon06. With that being said, I do have one tiny announcement to make. For everybody who's from St. Louis um, listening to this podcast, Brian and I believe in, we, we talked about this last week, and I'm already in talks with several different um, businesses and companies around St. Louis. We wanted to do something that was past the holidays because giving season does not end with the holidays. I know we all give to charities and do whatever we can. Um, for everyone we all do it for each other and that's great but I don't think it ends with Christmas and I think we should continue to do this so as a little token of our appreciation for everybody in the St. Louis area who supports our podcast since we are based out of here and this is where Brian grew up and it's now my home too every month starting probably in January um, just for six months I wanted to partner up with companies or brands that we are customers of already in St. Louis Just to stay aligned with what we believe in and the podcast and be true to ourselves and donate money to gift cards so that we could pick a winner each month. And so our first one, I've already have it lined up, is going to be with a restaurant here in St. Louis that Brian and I go to several times a week. We're absolutely obsessed with it. And um, the owner, she's a very, very sweet woman she agreed to this and she's actually going to match our contribution so hopefully two people can win this gift so if you're in the st louis area please i'm not gonna i didn't mention the name did i Mm -mm. the restaurant i'm not gonna mention it yet please watch look out for it on my instagram and brian's instagram for the giveaway of when we're gonna start um and so we'd love your participation in this you can you i mean if as long as you're in the st louis area and you know you guys are able to use it you can do it for your friends and family that's totally allowed that's doable but um, we hope you guys enjoy that. That's just, that's just our way of giving back for all the support that we have felt and the love and the appreciation um, for our podcast this year. So thank you so much, guys. Happy holidays. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks a lot.